I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Do you like In an uncertain world, there is always music that can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to vote. Today we speak to Annabel Vaughan of the law firm Coffin New about the ramifications of the Paul Briggs case and the ruling that doctors should stop providing life support treatment to the police officer who has been in a minimally conscious state since 2015. The track you're listening to is the beautifully melodic 2012 track Do You by R&B star Miguel.
Advances in medicine have meant that many more people survive traumatic incidents than in the past. Patients can now survive prolonged disorders of consciousness or minimally conscious states, either in a coma or in a vegetative state, where they show no awareness, just like the case of PC Paul Briggs. Annabelle? Hello. We've got you down the line because you're our legal expert, aren't you? Indeed, yeah. yeah. First off, before we talk about prolonged disorders of consciousness and what exactly that means. Could you just remind us of the case of PC Paul Briggs? Yes, um, PC Briggs was on his way to work on his motorcycle um, when he was involved in a head-on collision um, with a young lady driving a car um, and very sadly this left him in a um, minimally conscious state with a very severe brain injury. Um, He has been in that condition for over a year now and his wife and family wanted to take action to essentially bring his life to a peaceful end at this point in time. Okay, and why did that go to court? Why can't they just say to the doctors, um, dare I say, yank out that lead, let him die? Firstly, um, it doesn't appear that Paul Briggs had um, any documentation in place, which was a record of his wishes. So there are certain things you can put in place that would either give somebody the permission to ask doctors to make that decision or to say that if he ever found himself in the condition he's in at the moment that doctors should cease treating him. Uh, There's the added complication in this case that Paul Briggs is minimally conscious rather than what we would call in a persistent vegetative state. So somebody who is minimally conscious can have the ability to um, potentially communicate a little bit and and is more, more conscious than somebody who cannot Um, interact with their outside world at all. And and, and how exactly do we determine that? And it might sound like an incredibly obvious question, but I suppose it it kind of, the whole case kind of hinges on that, doesn't it? Yeah, not at all. Um, There's a specific type of assessment, which is called a SMART assessment. Um, Normally that involves the person being tested on multiple occasions, normally with some sort of assistive technology. And I believe Paul Briggs... um, was able to use a buzzer and essentially give a very rudimentary response to a series of um, fairly straightforward questions by way of getting um, any sort of certainty as to whether they're able to give a reliable yes-no type response. So how has the law moved on this, let's say, in the um, the last 20 years, or has it at all? Well, the major development in the last 20 years has been the Mental Capacity Act, um, which was um, came into law. Um, it was um, brought into law in 2005, but um, came into action in 2007. And that um, put all the law about mental capacity and decisions on behalf of people that lack capacity into one act. Mm-hmm. And it's become much more person-centred. So it's much more about the individual and their best interests now than perhaps taking a, a broader view uh, of what should be done in certain situations. And when that law was brought in, did we look at the law in any other countries around the world to take a lead on that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it looked at best practice, really, particularly in the fields of mental health um, around the world, about person-centred decision-making, but also the current good practice that clinicians um, and other experts in this sort of area were actually using already on a day-to-day basis just to really consolidate it and bring it into law rather than just being guidance. So 
is the state that decides whether it's in the within the best interests of this person to be kept alive uh, regardless of the cost and regardless of the feelings and the wishes of the family if there's no expressed wishes of that patient before they went into that state well, the Mental Capacity Act puts that power solely into the hands of the Court of Protection. Mm-hmm. So the Court of Protection is the only body, and you're right, it's, it's a, a branch of obviously the court system and therefore government, but it's the only body that can make decisions about somebody who lacks the capacity to make those decisions for themselves. Now, sometimes that decision-making is delegated. So, for example, if somebody makes power of attorney, they can delegate some of that decision-making but overall, where there is any dispute, it is ultimately the Court of Protection that would decide what should happen. One of the interesting things which I just kind of discovered whilst uh, doing, doing my research on this is that, you know, MRIs can reveal um, a lot of kind of brain activity. And as you said, kind of at the start of our chat, you know, he could respond uh, minimally to you know to, to some uh, some stimulus so um, mm. has this really pushed our understanding of what is kind of consciousness what is kind of capability um, you know what is the advance of medicine actually really telling us about about individuality and about the brain and about life and death what what's probably more important in this case rather than the brain activity per se is actually about quality of life mm-hmm. um, and our ability as individuals to determine for ourselves what we find acceptable so you're quite right in saying that there are massive medical advances um, in terms of being able to assess how responsive somebody is so the things like the smart assessment are brilliant what that sadly wouldn't tell us is what quality of life Paul Briggs will ever attain. So even if he was able to, for example, sit up and communicate more freely, he the likelihood is he'd be profoundly disabled just purely due to the nature of the brain injury he's sustained. I, I suppose if we're talking now about quality of life, mm-hmm. um, it's somewhat of a, a deeply religious question. At least it will be for some sections of, of the community. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah go on. Um, well, th- this is where I, I mean, I, I'm very passionate about the Mental Capacity Act. As you can imagine, I work with it every day. So it's something I'm very, very happy to um, to apply. But th- this is back to the point really about individualism. So if we were dealing with somebody who had been deeply religious um, and had shown um, in the years that he was conscious and able to discuss these things, that actually the idea of... of not prolonging life in these circumstances would be abhorrent to him then that would have been taken into account by the courts um all of these cases are uh, decided on a completely individual basis so those sort of wishes and feelings are enshrined in law to be taken into account in this sort of case so this is the part of the show where i basically turn around and say you need to choose a piece of music uh, which has some tenuous link uh, to what we were talking about. And I, pre- okay. I presume it's religion and a religious conscience. So um, tell us about the piece of music, Annabelle, that you would like us to play and why. Um, it's called Joy and it's by Tracy Thorne. Um, it's from her Christmas album, which she put out a few years ago. And for me, it just sums up why Christmas is still magical to us as adults um so you know when we're talking about things like people's beliefs and we all get to a stage where it's very easy to be a bit cynical about these things but really it talks about 
how dark adult life can be and why um, the contrast of all the bright lights of Christmas can be so wonderful. But by the state of your Christmas top, um, your life's pretty bright. <laughs> You're well yeah, in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, we're, we're having a very special um, charity jumper day at work today. Uh, mine is by far not the worst I've seen. So. <laughs> All right. about her she really had the voice of somewhat of the 
kind of late 80s and then had a bit of a resurgence in the 90s when everything but the girl got all kind of dancified, didn't she? Yeah, she did, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't massively into that, actually. I just started following her on Twitter a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and started Are you telling me that, that I'm old? Is that basically what you've just said? No, Royfield, I'm not telling you that you're old. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, no, it's just I, I started listening to um, solo stuff, which is um, a bit more case, probably a bit more on my street, to be honest. Um, and I'm a sucker for a Christmas album, so when she put that out, I was straight onto it. What else are you a sucker for musically? Oh, everything—a bit of ABBA. Um, I'm not very cool when it comes to music at all. Probably um, I'm a bit of an indie kid in the '90s, so things like the Manics, um, mm-hmm. absolute favourite band. But yeah, not very cool whatsoever. I don't know, I don't know. ABBA have had somewhat of a cool resurgence in the last kind of 10 years. And in terms of melodies, harmonies, a musical composition, their stuff's pretty complex. It's just that um, because of the outfits and because we see it as kind of 70s music, it's kind of uh, somewhat consigned to the, the, the dustbin of musical history. But actually, it's very good stuff and very complex. So don't, don't knock a bit of ABBA. No, absolutely not. Now, Tell us a little bit more about your work, because obviously we've uh, talked a little bit about the issues around uh, PC Briggs, but you work in this field anyway. So what type of other cases have you have you combined? And actually, how and why did you end up specifically in this kind of legal field? Um, I was always very interested um, in clinical type law. Um, and it was purely a case of when I was training, there was an opportunity to take up some of this mental capacity work, which um, always tends to work very closely alongside clinical law teams and firms. Um, and when I came to my current firm, my colleague, who is a very, very eminent brain injury expert, and I really um, took it upon ourselves to develop a very, very um, detailed specialism in brain injury quarter protection work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have got several clients who have had in the past injuries along the lines of that sadly suffered by Paul Briggs, um, some of whom who have, have made um, absolutely miraculous recoveries and, and live very full independent lives and some of whom sadly are are very profoundly disabled and need the sort of intense one-to-one care that Paul Briggs needs at the moment. Doesn't the fact that some people can make maybe not a full recovery but a marked recovery from this kind of debilitating state uh, tell us that maybe we should give everybody dare I say the benefit of the doubt because medical science might progress further and also our understanding of the brain and trauma might progress further in the future. It could do. I, I, I think I'd go back to that point about individualism, which is so important in this area of law. Um, for example, I'm aware that Paul Briggs had specifically said to his wife um, when he looked at things like what happened to Michael Schumacher and Jules Bianchi, mm-hmm. that he would never want to live with a profound disability. Um, and that was very powerful in terms of the judge's summing up of this case. That was something that he really took on board when deciding this. Um, that it was somebody who had made it very, very clear on numerous occasions um, and giving several different examples that it would not be acceptable to him to live with a severe disability. Um, And even when I'm talking about people who've made good recoveries, these are still people with quite profound needs, whether it be physical, so things like mobility, or actually um, in the way they're able to engage with other people in day-to-day life, most of my clients still need a huge amount of support. 
It's kind of interesting that you uh, talked about Michael Schumacher and Jules Bianchi uh, mm. because I, I'm somewhat of a big Formula One uh, fan. Um, what do we know about the recovery that Michael Schumacher is making, if uh, if we can even use the word recovery? Um, I, I don't. I have to say, I don't know too much about that. What I do know about brain injury generally is that it's always an incredibly hard road. Um, because of the physical um, and and mental challenges that somebody with a brain injury um, can sustain. And what's very common in brain injury is that somebody can have a complete personality change. Um, so quite often families of somebody that's been profoundly brain injured will be coming to terms with the fact that the person that they knew really isn't here anymore even though they could have a, a their living, breathing relative with them, mm-hmm. it's likely to be a very different person indeed. So um, what were the ramifications of, of, of the Briggs case? Um, you know, I, I can, can you just sum that up for us? Sure. Um, I, think, I think the most interesting thing at this point was that the sanctity of life was absolutely there and discussed and seen as absolutely important but it was balanced in this case with other factors. And as I say, particularly Paul Briggs' own expressed wishes about how he would want to be treated in this sort of circumstance. Um, the, the official solicitor who acted for Paul during this case um, to give him an independent voice, as it were, which is quite common, they're actually, it looks like they may appeal the judgment. Um, so we obviously wait to see in that sense if there is going to be any long lasting um, ramifications for the law in general. Um, but I would always urge caution in these cases to suggest that it, it's some sort of proactive move towards the euthanasia type um, arrangement because that, that isn't what it is at all. Now, just before you completely and utterly toddle off, are there any kind of journals or any websites, any kind of periodicals where people can um, not necessarily follow this case but follow some of the ethics and the mores around it that you could recommend? Sure. I mean, the actual judgments in court protection cases are quite easy to read, so it's not your heavy, um, onerous law to read. And they're available on a website called Bailey, um, which is B-A-L-L-I.org.uk. And you can go through those. The judgments in the court protection are fairly easy to find. Um, They're just listed in date order. And as I say, they're quite interesting because you, you do get quite good coverage of the facts that were before the court. And if anybody wants to follow uh, your um, high-powered legal progress uh, <laughs> on, on social media, how can they do that? Um, I'm on the Twitters as A Vaughan, which is A-V-A-U-G-H-A-N-C-A-P. Annabelle Vaughan, thank you for coming on to Friday 15 and, uh, and giving us your Christmas song. Thank you very much, Royfield. notable factor in the runaway success of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Give it away has won Grammys and plaudits for its iconic video. Shot somewhere in the desert and in black and white is one of rock music's most instantly recognisable promos.
honour of the life and work of George Michael, we end the show with one of my favourite of his tracks, Fast Love. The 1996 track features just echoes of the Patrice Russian hit, Get Me Nuts, see if you can hear them. you enjoyed this week's friday 15 remember please go on to itunes and write us a little review because uh, we need to get up those itunes charts uh, you can contact me by sending me an email where i'm quite simply royfield at gmail.com follow our page on facebook you can go there and just type in friday 15 and you can see the progress of the show Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.